So I was just mentioning to Pastor Marilyn, this is a funny story. You know, when we were in the Holy Land a couple of years ago, Marilyn, I asked her to um, rededicate me in the River Jordan. And um, we, it was just a beautiful moment. The only problem is ours did not go as smoothly as that one. Somehow we ended up in the middle of the Jordan River and we were floating down the river. That is a true story. I'm not making that. It's all documented. I've got it on video. It's amazing. But so grateful for Marilyn to be with us this morning. And I'm grateful that she had a chance to rededicate me. I'm honored that she did that. But I did not call her back up this week. I just want you to know that. Just kidding. Just kidding. Okay. All right. So, um, hey, listen, we continue our sermon series on Lakato's book. And um, as Pastor uh, Ellen mentioned, we're going to be coming up with study questions. If you want to use these for um, your small group study and just kind of discuss maybe a little bit more about the sermons throughout this sermon series, we'd love for you to participate in that and we'll hook you up. Um, you'll get through this. Um, hope and help for your turbulent times. As um, Marilyn, um, as uh, Alan mentioned, we're looking at the story of Joseph and we started last week um, with um, the story and I kind of gave an overview. So today, um, by the way, this story is uh, about 3,500 to 4,000 years old. As I share with you all, um, you know, it was part of oral tradition. The story was probably told um, um, after around, you know, campfires, around uh, dinner tables. It's a very, very powerful story and it means that if it's lasted 4,000 years, it's got to be a pretty powerful, important story. And, and the question is, how does it apply to our lives? And so each week we're going to break it down and pull out little excerpts for the story for the next six or seven weeks and, and look at the truth. Now, I will tell you today, um, we're going to look at the story of the beginning part, you know, because Joseph was a dreamer. And so we're going to look at, once again, the beginning of his dreams. But I'm, I'm telling you, it's amazing how the Old Testament ultimately connects with the New Testament. And at the very end of this message today, I'm going to try to explain to you how um, dreams in the Old Testament between um, Jacob and his, and his son Joseph ultimately point to Jesus Christ. All right, we're going to get there. Um, so let me begin with uh, just reading a, a little part of the story today that we find from the book of Genesis, the 37th chapter. Once again, Joseph and his dreams of greatness. So once Joseph had a dream, and uh, when he had told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hey, listen to this dream that I dream. There we were, binding sheaves in the fields, and suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright. Then your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. He had another dream. And he told to his brothers saying, Hey, look, I have another dream. The sun and the moon in the 11 stars will bow down to me. But when he had told it to this to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What kind of dream is this that you have had? Shall we indeed come, I and your mother and your brothers, and shall we shall all bow down before you on the ground? So his brothers were jealous of him. But his father, well... He kept this matter in his mind. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. We'll get through this. I challenged you all last week to think about that, about what is your this 
Think about that. You know, I mean, as you're this, I mean, we, we all talked about getting through the COVID this. We've been thinking about some of you have lost a loved one. We've had a lot of people die in our church over the last year. Um, we had a memorial service yesterday for my friend Ted. He came every Saturday night. He sat over here and his wife, his widow, Diane, was here. We had a beautiful service for him at two o'clock. And I actually, before I walked in, I sat in the right, she was, I saw her when I came in and she was there with her daughter and a couple of the friends and she was just grieving, just tears. And I got down on my knees and I grabbed her hand and I said, I just want you to know, Diane, we'll get you through this. I had friends that I shared with you all last week about, you know, one of our, part of our church who's struggling with her. She says, I can't, I can't be devoted to my ministry now here at New Covenant because I have to draw all my attention because I have to be the primary caregiver for my, pers- my spouse who's got dementia or Alzheimer's. We'll get through this. Um, and so over and over again, we, I have a challenge to think about what is... What is this? And so I came up with two questions to think about for us to ponder this week. because And, and they're actually um, pretty good questions when it comes to the topic and the context that we're talking about as far as getting through this, whatever our this is. So the first question is how? And the second question is how long, right? I mean, for Joseph, uh, his this was, you know, he ended up from... We ended up going to a pit, to the prison, and then he ended up being the prime minister. Matter of fact, one of my friends came to our church last week and he says, Harold, I remember that story. I remember that from Sunday school, but I had forgotten. You never told us how he ended up being the prime minister. You told us how he got the pit and you told us a little bit about the prison thing, but you didn't tell us how he got prime minister. I said, come back next week and I'll tell you, is what I told him. So he spent 20 years before he went from the pit to the prison, before Joseph rose up to be the prime minister. But the question I, you know, I'm pr- proposing to us to think is, you know, the idea of how. How are we going to get through this? And um, the same thing I told Diane yesterday, as she's grieving the loss of her husband. The same thing I share with you all today. Three things, and I call them the three Ps. Maybe you can commit them to, to memory when it comes to life and getting through this. How? The question is How? Well, the first piece represents prayer. I really believe in the power of prayer. Can I amen on that? I, I tell you what, when I was going through um, my dark times after my accident, I know and I felt it. I don't even know how to describe it. I just call it make the gift of the Holy Spirit. I just felt as if that you all, I knew that you all were praying for me. I felt that every day. And I felt the prayer that actually was showering over me when I would get up and it was difficult and to try to be able to make my way through, trying to get healed. And, and I felt as if your prayers were washing over me every single day. I, I don't really to this day know how to describe that, but maybe you've experienced yourself. So I really believe getting through whatever your this is, prayer has a tremendous part in that. Um, the, the second word is the word perseverance. And I don't know about you all, but, you know, usually when I write off, sign off my letters, I write off and, you know, I usually don't just say, you know, sincerely, Harold. I usually say, running the race with perseverance. And I've always tried to live my life dealing with the idea of being dedicated and this will of determination. I knew that God would help me get through whatever it might be. And I, I really believe perseverance and will and determination helps us. So we got prayer. We got perseverance. And the third P is God's presence. Can you say it with me? God's presence. So we got prayer, we got perseverance, and God's presence. And we find that in the story today of Joseph. God continues to go with Joseph over and over again from the pit to the prison to become the prime minister. 
Um, so we focus on this story today, and, and Joseph was a dreamer. Um, we, he, um, we begin this part of the story, as I just read, and eventually he's going to have another story that actually ends up taking him out of the prison and ends up catapults him and end, end, actually ends up being the prime minister because of the dreams that God gives him. And, and back then, you know, it's interesting that um, d- dreams were connected to, to deity. In other words, if you had some kind of dream, that a lot of times they would be able to, once again, connect the dream with some kind of God-profound vision that you had in your dream and somehow your dream that was was presented that you would share it and it was connected to uh, the the divinity of God and so we find this part of the story once again this is a story that's 3,500 4,000 years old right it's got to be an important story so Joseph was a dreamer and I don't know, I started thinking about my own life, and I thought, you know what, I, from, from the very get-go, I've always been a dreamer. As a matter of fact, I've got a couple pictures. I mean, what would be your dream, right? So when I was a little boy, my first dream was this. I wanted to be like this guy. I wanted to be like Johnny Bench. I loved Johnny Bench. He was a part of the Big Red Machine back in the 1970s, and man, I just ate, drank, slate. I loved baseball. And so then after a while, that kind of wore off, and I switched sports, and I went from baseball to becoming, well, I wanted to be like that guy. I wanted to be like Pistol Pete Maravich, right? Man, that guy had all the moves. He could shoot the basketball. He was unbelievable. He went to LSU. He was unbelievable. One of the best basketball, college basketball players ever. He averaged almost like 50 points a game. He was amazing, right? So he went and played professional basketball, and so I wanted to be like Pistol Pete Maritain. And then after I kind of grew out of that, I wanted to be like this guy. I wanted to be like Maverick, right? And Top Gun. I wanted to be a pilot, right? And so doesn't everybody have, have dreams? What was your dream? What is your dream? And so I thought about this this last week, and I, you know, I would be remiss if I was going to be talking about dreams, that I would not quote one of the greatest dream messages ever by Martin Luther King. He says, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up, live out, of the true meaning of its creed, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. I have a dream, Martin Luther King. You know, a few years ago, I, or I mean, a few months ago, I took our, I mentioned I took our little granddaughter to Walt Disney World. And you know, one of the things when you go to Walt Disney World, well, can you show this picture? It's a place where dreams come true, right? There it is. It's right there. It's the first thing you see when you go into Disney World. It's part of their kind of their marketing about, you know, when you, you go to Disney World, and by the way, my, when my, when I took my little granddaughter, Marley Ann, and the fr- I mean, her dreams did come true within the first 10 minutes, right? We could have actually gone home after 15 minutes. That would have been okay, too. So anyway, we get there, and all the princesses all draw, come out. I mean, you've got Snow White, you've got Cinderella, um, you've got Ariel. All the princesses all came out, and they all waved at Marley when she came, and she just came in. It was amazing. Her dreams did come true. I remember taking uh, Sam and Kim. Uh, Sam had come to live with us um, a few years ago. Sam was actually born in Zimbabwe, Africa. Um, he came here with his mother, um, and uh, we love and die. And I actually came to help take care of me when I was so um, broken. And um, she's been a wonderful friend of ours for over 30 years. And so um, Sam was struggling with life, and so he came to live with us for 
for about four years, and we were his caregiver, and we loved Sam. And so when he was about ninth grade, he had never gone to Disney World. And so um, I said, well, Sam, you know what? I'm going to take you and uh, Cam to Disney World. And so we, we went to Disney World. We had a, a nice day. And of course, I've been to Disney World probably 50 or 60 times. I mean, I've been going to Disney World since 1973. So I, I don't know. It was just like another day at the office when I went to Disney World. So I, when I walked out the gates that evening, I remember seeing, making a comment, something like, wow, this has just been the greatest day of my life. And then Sam turned to me and said, Uncle Harold, this has been the greatest day of my life. Dreams, right? Let me ask you um, Does anybody live in the villages? Does anybody live? Okay, so let me show you. Here's, here's another. May all your dreams come true, right? It's, it's part of their marketing. It's genius. I mean, you know, th- th- that, that part, that slogan is a part of the marketing campaign for the villages because as you all have come to be a part of the villages, I mean, your dreams have come true. You've been able to come and retire and live in a beautiful community. You can have fun and play golf and pick a ball. It's just a beautiful place. And so maybe you have continued to dream for retirement and your dreams have finally come true and you live in a beautiful place, right? We've been blessed. Can I mean that? We are blessed to live in a beautiful place. So may all dreams come true. In fact, the, the, the villages believe, believe so hardly in that dream. This, I took this picture last week. I was down at Brownwood. They even put it on buildings now. It's in Brownwood. May all your dreams come true. So, what's your dream? So, Joseph had, I'm sure he had dreams, but I'm pretty sure when he was only 17 years old, his dreams were not going to turn out the way, well, the way they turned out. I, can't, I guarantee you that. So he has, a, well, as I read to you all just a few minutes ago, he had this dream. He, had, he was out in, the, out in the pasture and the, and, the, and the sheaves, the wheat, they would be gathered. His would rise up and the other three bundles would rise up and bow down to him. That was the first dream. And the Bible says that, well, his brothers hated him that much more. Because once again, he was, a, he was daddy's little boy, the apple of his eye. He had the coat of the many colors. They all knew that he was his favorite. And yet they... They hated him that much more because are you going to have dominion over us? I mean, really, little brother, we're going to bow down to you? I don't think so. Over my dead body. Over my dead body. I'm not going to bow down to you. And then he had another dream. And of course, once again, I mean, think about Joseph is his own worst enemy. He just can't shut up. Right? So he has another dream. And this time he talks about his dream. And, and the dream is actually is interpreted in that, that he had the, the, the sun and the moon actually bow down before him. And that gets his daddy's attention, right? Because, um, because the, the, the figurative or the symbolism of that has to do with the sun being Jacob and the moon was his mother who actually departed. His mother died in childbirth as she gave birth to Benjamin. So this disturbed Jacob in the dream. And yet you also get to this. You ready? And I, I never noticed the detail this last week. But at the very end of that, that little tagline in that message, that, that particular piece of scripture I read was, in essence, he said, and, the, and, his, and his father pondered these things. Where else did we find someone pondering these things in her heart? Mary. So in other words, Jacob was a little perplexed by his, his son's dream. He didn't quite understand it. But he knew there had to be something to the dream. My mother, I mean, my, my daughter, my, my wife, 
me get that right. My mother, my, okay, yeah. Three most important people, my wife, okay. So my, my wife, uh, I had a dream this last week, um, and it involved my father. You know, my father died, passed away five years ago. And so over the last five years, I've had nine dreams with my father in the dream. So I'm, I'm average about maybe two dreams a year that somehow my father ends up one of my dreams. My, the reason why I know that, folks, is because I have, a little, I have a little journal that I write things down and I went back and looked at my journal because I wrote down my dream that I had with my father. Every time I have a dream with my father, my father's in my dream, I always write it down to remember it because it's important to me. I always felt like maybe sometimes the dreams are a little bit different, but this particular dream seemed to be fairly profound. So I'll share it with you. And the reason why I share it with you is because my wife told me, she says, you know, Harold, there might be something to that. So um, my father comes to me this, um, and it was about six o'clock in the evening. And the reason why I think it's six o'clock in the evening is because I felt like it was almost like I, I reflected because my son Cameron usually comes home around maybe at six o'clock. Now he works at Walmart. So if you see him at Walmart, make sure you go up and say, hey, Cam, you're doing a great job. And so he's working at Walmart and uh, you'll recognize Cam because he's the one who has a lot of long hair and he looks a whole lot like Jesus. I just want you to know that. So um and so he's, and so Cameron sometimes comes home at about six o'clock on a break. So this, in this imagery, my father comes home and it's almost like he's on break. And so um, then my father, and my father looks distraught. And I asked him, I said, Daddy, what's wrong? I said, are you okay? And then he said to me, Harold Ray, I'm okay. But he says, it's the kingdom. It's the kingdom. In other words, what my father was saying to me in the, in the dream, he just said, you know, Harold, I'm okay, but the kingdom's not okay. And you know what? I started thinking about that and reflect upon that. You know what? If you watch the 6, 6 o'clock or 6.30 news, now you know what I'm talking about, right? With another shooting and another shooting and another shooting. By the way, do you realize the flag is half-staffed half today uh, because we're shootings? Do you realize that there have been Three million people that have died over this last year all over the world because of COVID. Uh, so maybe I started thinking, may, maybe there's something to this idea. Maybe my father was saying, hey, I'm okay. But the kingdom's not okay. I started thinking about this, this idea about um, the idea of hope this last week. And I, I love um, Dr. Craddock, um, who is my professor, God rest his soul. I think he was one of the greatest uh, professors at Emory University. He was the uh, professor of homiletics. And I had the privilege to be able to, to learn um, how to preach from him. He was just a great, phenomenal storyteller. And I love to tell stories. And but one of the things he talked about one day, and I'll never forget this. I think it's one of the most important things I learned in seminary. He says, you know what? And he's talking to the whole class. I think he was talking about pastoral care. And he says, you know what? You never take someone's hope away. No matter what you're doing in life. I mean, you can go and do a hospital call and you know the person's dying and they're going through some kind of tragedy and maybe they've had an accident or the person's died of cancer. But I, you know what? I, that never has ever left me. You never take someone's hope away. I thought it was interesting this last, about two weeks ago, we put out these little prayer cards and more than, you're more than welcome to go out and, and go out in the narthex and it's in this little cardinal alcove and it's the entrance like you're going to the back part of the kitchen back there, but you're more than go there and there's also in the front entrance of the narthex. And by the way, those who worship at the sign line, if you want to come down during the week and pick up one of these prayer cards, you're our prayer cards, you, whatever applies to your life. And we talked about this last week. And by the way, did you all get the little prayer card this morning when you came in? Did you all get this little hope card? Did anybody get that? You did not? 
Well, Dag Nabbit. I thought you were supposed to get that. Okay, well, here's the, here's the interesting thing. Here's the, here's, the, here's the hope card. What's interesting is that when we put these out, they, I heard the comment, we were talking in the office, and they said, well, where are you out of these little cards? And I said, which card are you out of? Because y'all have evidently took them all. Hope. That tells me something. You're just a senior pastor. Is that, you know, we continue to cling to hope. And here's, let me just read the little hope card to you. Dear Lord, I know that you bring hope to the lost and weary. I need that right now. Please give me strength and guide me through the darkness. Let me see your light, the promise of hope, and let it shine within my soul. It's a beautiful little prayer, isn't it? So maybe on the night, maybe ushers can find those hope cards. I know that we printed up, I don't know, several hundred of them, and we can maybe find them given to you on the way out. But I'd love for you to take that home and put that in your Bible. And when you're struggling with something in your life, and you need some, you need a little prayer of hope, pull that out and read it. Never take away someone's hope. You know, I was thinking about my own dreams. You know, I, Don and I look forward to retiring someday. And, um, you know, when we first started out, we had, um, you know, we started having children after children after. We had a lot of children. Matter of fact, we didn't sleep for about 10 years. I just want you to know that. And so, because we had a child every other year for, uh, for almost a, for a decade. And, and so, you know, when we first started out, we, you know, we had, we had hope that we someday we'd retire, but we didn't have much of a retirement fund because there wasn't a whole, we had, well, we had five mile, mouths to feed. And so this last week, I was talking to my financial planner talking about retirement, and his name was Mark, and someone had trust in. And this is what he said to me um, in, in preparing for retirement. My financial planner says, I've always said that a goal without a plan is just a wish. And I thought that was very powerful and prepared as I think about our future and about our dreams. A goal without a plan is just a wish. So God's got this great plan for Joseph, right? And he gives him this dream. And God has a dream for my life. God's got a, a dream for your life. And once again, a goal without a plan is just a wish. And so I, I, I love this, once again, I, I love this quote, um, quote that once it has to do with a wish and a, a dream and um, hope. Um, I'm gonna, here's this little quote today because the reason why I thought about this this last week because once again when you ever think about hope in our lives and we all have big dreams and I started thinking about children and I started thinking about um, every once in a while um, maybe in the air of the holidays we, we see um, Marlo Thomas who represented uh, St. Jude's Hospital her father started St. Jude's Hospital um, Danny Thomas you might remember Danny Thomas right and so he had a passion and love for children and so they have the, the, um, the St. Jude's Hospital and it's a beautiful hospital and, and and evidently, one of the things that Marlo Thomas, when they do the advertising, of course, they're always trying to raise money to help uh, support the hospital because they said that no child's ever going to be turned away. No child's ever going to be turned away, right? And what I love about those stories, they usually show, you know, a child maybe who's going very powerful, that maybe a child's going through some kind of crisis or some child's going through some kind of maybe usually involved with cancer. And they, they're always focused on hope. So I thought about this quote this last week. Listen to the must-nots, child. Listen to the don'ts. Listen to the shouldn'ts, the impossibles, the won'ts. Listen to the never-haves. Then listen close to me. Anything can happen, child. Anything can be. Winnie the Pooh. I can almost guarantee you, I'm the only senior pastor in America that's quoting Winnie the Pooh this morning, right? 
but what a powerful quote about hopes and dreams. I, I, I love the, the scripture that Jesus gives to us about hope. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, Jesus says. I have come to overcome the world. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, First John. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of earth will be bring their glory into it in the daytime, for there will be no night there. Its gates will never be closed, and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, the book of Revelation. Hope. Dreams. God's got a goal. God's got a plan. God's got a wish, a dream for Joseph. I thought it was interesting as I thought about this story this week is that, once again, I mean, here's Joseph and he ends up in the pit. And matter of fact, we find the details. It says, by the time the Midianites traders were passing by, their brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites who took Joseph with them down to Egypt. I mean, what's the kid worth? He's worth about 20 bucks. Isn't that amazing? And I, I can just imagine Joseph in the pit thinking, you know, and he hears all of a sudden um, these, these foreigners are talking and they start talking about money. And all of a sudden he's screaming and says, hey, can you get me out of here? And all of a sudden you realize that they're bargaining for his life, right? I'll give you 10. No, he's worth, I mean, hey, listen, I know that he's scrawny, but he's good looking. And listen, he's probably worth at least 30. No, well, and they agree on a price, 20 bucks. And they pull him out of the cistern, out of the pit. Can you imagine uh, all of a sudden he is just perplexed. Everything in his life is all of a sudden, everything is completely changed. His life is completely upside down. By the way, um, the brothers do say to the Ishmaelites, hey, listen, we'll give you the 20 bucks, but listen, we get to keep the coat because we're going to need that for later. And so there goes Joseph tied to a camel like a dog with a leash. Off he goes, down. I think this is a great little point the, um, that um, Lucado talks. He says, down to Egypt. Three powerful words that summarize the beginning of this story. Joseph's story, our story. What, but what goes up must come down. Joseph's life came crashing down, putting down by his siblings, thrown down into empty well, let's let down by his brothers, sold down the river as a slave, then led down the road to Egypt. Down. Down in your mouth. Have you ever had to try to think you had to get the last word in? As Phil, Dr. Phil would say, Harold, how'd that work out for you? Not too good. Down to your last dollar, down to the custody here, down to watching your loved one breathe their last breath, down on your life, down on your luck. Life pulls us down, down to Egypt we go. Oh, life can pull us down. Hence the reason the number one prayer card is hope. And I think it was interesting about this because the, the one thing that Joseph has to hold on to and that he continues to cling to is he's got this dream that God has given him. He had lost everything that one, except one thing. And the one thing that God had given to him is he had given him this gift of a future. He had given him a dream. Just think at the age of 17, he lost his family, his dignity, his freedom, his homeland. But he never lost the, his belief in God's belief in him. Let me say that again. 
Just think, at the age of 17, he lost his family, his dignity, his freedom, his homeland, but he never lost his belief in God's belief in him. I mean, he could, you know, think about your own lives. We can lose everything. And we can lose everything in the stock market. We could lose our family. We can lose friends. But here's the reality, folks. And this is what I believe that's the truth of the, of the good news of Jesus Christ that we find here. Is what is the one thing that you have that you can never lose? You can lose your money in the stock market. You can lose your family members that you deeply love. You can lose your job to a belligerent boss. But nothing can take away that you and me are ch children of God. Did you get that? You and I are children of God. I, here, here's how the Bible puts it. Jesus put it this way. You did not choose me. I chose you. Jesus says. You are God's child. And he has bought you with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. As that of a lamb without blemish and without a spot. First Peter Paul put it this way in Corinthians. When this tent we live in, your, our body here on earth is torn down. God will have a house in heaven for us to live in. A home that himself has made, which will last forever. So I gave you three key words to think about. You know, I gave you the word about prayer. I talked about perseverance. But I also talked about the presence of God. And all that Joseph had at the beginning of this, at the first part of his life, is he's being led down, down, down. We've all gone down. We all have felt down. We're all trying to get through this. But when I put it in perspective and think about that the, the presence of God continues to go with Joseph. Matter of fact, there are nine different references in this part of the story. Go back and read it yourself where it's referred to God. But out of the nine, four of the nine times that God's mentioned this story, this part of the story, four out of the nine all go back and God was with Joseph. And God was with Joseph. And God was with Joseph. Over and over again. Which tells me, I mean, how does this apply to my life? And how does it apply to our lives? Is that the promise that we find here in this, in this story is that God continues to be with us. Matter of fact, it was interesting. If you go back and you, the second part of the story is that he ends up in Potiphar's house. And what's beautiful about this part of the story and, and the writer of this story is it's being... Uh, presented and shared with tradition everywhere that Joseph went he continued to be blessed and the people around him were blessed go back and look at the story so even Potiphar's house was blessed because he recognized Potiphar recognized that Joseph was connected with God and that his household was being blessed because Joseph was in it which is a very powerful twist to the story isn't it and that, you know, he had to, here, here's once again, don't miss the detail. You have to read between the lines. But I think it's powerful how, how Joseph, he had to have conversations with Potiphar about the power of his God. Now, Potiphar is an Egyptian, right? He doesn't know anything about Yahweh. He doesn't know anything about Jacob and Joseph's God. But Joseph had to be able to continue to convey the message. No wonder Potiphar says, hey, listen, there's got to be something to this. This God of his, right? And God went with Joseph. So uh, here, I close with this thought tonight, today. And I shared with you all, I wanted to make sure we make the connection. So um, about this dream. So here, here it is. Joseph had a daddy. His name was Jacob. Now we have four patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Say that with me. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
Joseph. Okay, so his daddy was Jacob, right? Jacob had a dream. And y'all remember this from Sunday school. Jacob's ladder. Coming back now. Jacob had a, well, in his, in his dream, once again, God revealing something to Jacob. And the interpretation, you go back and read this, this, what the scholars say about that. Jacob's ladder has everything to do with the connection between us and his, Jacob's descendants here on earth. And his connection of being the chosen people and connected to Almighty God. So the ladder is just like this bridge between, between here on earth and our heavenly father in heaven, right? So we, and, and he talks about the angels ascending and descending, right? This is what he says. And I saw, and in my vision and in my dream, I saw the angels ascending and descending, this connection between heaven and earth. Where else do we find that in the Bible? Well, I will tell you. Here it is. In the Gospel of John, it's right there. Chances are, when you read the story, you blew right through it. Jesus' words, and the 51st verse, and he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, Jesus. So Jesus is ultimately the ladder. Jesus is the one who bridges the gap between humanity here on earth and our heavenly father and the glory of, of heaven. Jesus is the latter as he talks about being the son of man. And so I think it's very powerful is how the Old Testament ultimately, ultimately points to the New Testament and they come right there from Jesus' words. A dream. God's got a dream for your life. God's got a dream for my life. So here, I, I close with this thought today. Hmm. My father comes to me and says to me in my dream, he says, you know, Harold, don't worry about me. I'm good. Be concerned about the kingdom. So I want you to go back to your people this week, Harold, and tell them, if you'll just take care of the kingdom, Tell them that God will take care of them. Have you had any good dreams lately? 